Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is about how we can get a handle on our stress. And what's cool about the strategy that we're going to talk about this in, in this episode is that I'm not going to ask you to learn anything. You don't need to take any time out of your day to practice what we're going to talk about. This is the kind of thing that you can access no matter what you're doing, whether you're driving in traffic, whether you're in a busy space, whether you're at a cocktail party and you need a little bit more ease, this tool is there for you. Nobody will know that you're using it and you will have access to something that helps to bring your nervous system into balance and yourself into a better space. Of course, I'm talking about the Apollo Neuro. My guest is Dr. David Rabin, who is the guy behind the Apollo Neuro, and he is better known as Dr. Dave. He's a neuroscientist and board-certified psychiatrist who's been studying the effects of chronic stress on mental and physical health for over 15 years. And the technology behind the Apollo really asks the question, could we use our body's natural response to restore balance to the nervous system? And if we could, could we possibly measure it? Of course, the answer is yes. And we talk about that in the episode at great length. So I don't want to take up too much of your time here because I want you to get into the episode. We've gotten a beautiful discount code from the folks at Apollo. You can, if you decide you want to try the Apollo Neuro for yourself, you can use discount code NAT10 and you can acquire an Apollo Neuro. You can get it with a clip or with a wristband, ankle band. I wear mine now all the time. I'm wearing it a couple hours a day and I'm really enjoying it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your comments, your questions, and your reviews. You know that that's what keeps this podcast alive. If you're looking to connect with me, you can go to natnidham.com. That's my website. You can always reach me through there. If you're looking to connect with Dr. David Rabin, he's on Instagram, he's on Twitter, Dr. David Rabin. And of course, you can go to apolloneuro.com and learn more about the device and see some of the research there. If you're also looking to interact with me a little bit more, then I invite you to check out my new community on Mighty Networks called BSP Community, B like biohacking, S like superhuman, P like performance, BSP Community on MightyNetworks.com. You can learn all about it on my website under the tab BSP Community. I'd love to see you there. If not, there's, of course, always the Facebook group, the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Facebook group. Although I try to be there as much as I can, that group's getting pretty big. So it's a lot harder for me to get to everybody um, as much as I would like to. So in the meantime, thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the episode. And we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. And then you're off to learn about Apollo. Enjoy. Do you ever have trouble focusing during the day, remembering names, dates, or where you left things? You've got to hear about this. Newtopia, a bioptimizers company, has created a brand new one-of-a-kind product called Collagenius. It's a blend of five potent superfoods, collagen, and 1.2 pounds of four concentrated mushrooms, lion's mane, reishi, cordyceps, and chaga. This cutting-edge blend is a powerful way to rebuild your brain and rewire it for maximum energy focus and performance in less than 30 days. After each serving, you'll feel calm, alert, and energized. Your ability to memorize and recall information will improve. Plus, you'll get a hefty dose of antioxidants for immune support. 
It's also delicious. Lightly sweetened with stevia, it tastes like a rich chocolate elixir. Just mix it with water or milk and enjoy. Or for a more potent blend, do what I do. Mix it with your morning coffee to transform it into a delicious mood-boosting mocha. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to newtopia.com forward slash Genius and use Bionat 10 during checkout to save 10%. And now back to the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome David Rabin to the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. So great to be here with you, Natalie. Thanks so much for having me. It pleasure's all mine. We got to meet in LA, which was fantastic. And I've been wearing my device. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see my Apollo Neuro right here on my on my bra strap. I don't know if I'm supposed to show that on camera or not, but for people who are listening to the podcast, um, you're allowed. <laughs> I'm allowed. Yeah. And for people listening to the podcast, it's just this cool little white, um, because I picked white rectangle. So Dave's gonna tell us all about it and what led to the creation of this wonderful kind of, it's kind of like having a cat purring on your chest is the sensation. Well, thanks for having me first off. It's a pleasure. Uh, and, you know, Apollo is, you know, I think a lot, it, it's basically a, a wearable in short that is the first of what we would call the Gen 3 wearables. So it delivers a soothing sensation to the body that the body interprets as safety, like soothing touch, like holding a purring cat, like uh, ocean waves washing over you or getting a hug. And then that's interpreted by our brains as safety Mm -hmm. and it calms us down. And so uh, what's interesting about it in that it's a Gen 3 wearable is that, that there are two generations that came before right? So the first generation is wearables that just track stuff and tell us that our rhythm is off and then say, here's the data, you figure out what to do about it, right? Mm -hmm. Those wearables are the old wearables and the the old Fitbits and that kind of thing. And and they still exist and they're still around. Then there's the new, the second generation wearables, which we might call tracker trainers. So they track your data, like the new Aura Ring, the new Apple Watch, the new Fitbits, they track your data, they do some interpretation of your data And then they tell you, you should make this change or make that change to feel better. You should get more sleep, take a nap, eat differently, lose weight, move more, right? And doing these things will make your life better, but it's still up to us to do them. And Apollo was our first attempt at trying to really help originally with patients with PTSD who don't have the bandwidth to take on new things very easily, have trouble learning new things. And we said, well, what happens if we try to take the next step for them, which is understand what's going on in their body and then provide them with a stimulation, in this case, soothing, gentle sound waves that put the body into a state that is feeling calm, clear, and primed for learning, primed for new things and change. And that's what Apollo became. And in that process, we found that it actually worked for us too, as we were making it. And we were like, this is great. We use it all the time. So let's make it a consumer device for regular people instead of a medical device. I love it. I love it. And it's, you know, it's a solution as opposed to presenting people with a problem, which as as you described, a, many, a lot of these other devices, I mean, how many times have we spoken to someone who's all stressed out because their sleep metrics are bad or, you know, their right. HRV is no good or, you know, I can't get my recovery scores up. And, you know, we're in a world where there's so much 
built up tension and so many reasons to be stressed. I What I love about this is it's not, you don't have to eat anything. You don't have to drink anything. Like it's not an ingestible. It's very easy and you don't have to do it. You don't actually have to stop what you're doing, right? And as much as meditation is spectacular and breath work is amazing and all of these strategies are so powerful, they still require people to stop what they're doing, which, you know, in some ways is great and in other ways just adds another layer of, it's another thing to do. It's another layer of stress. This is completely different. And so, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about how you came to this realization or how the development of Apollo came along. You say that, you know, you de- did you develop it initially specifically for PTSD or was it? We, yeah, we were research. I guess the studying and working with patients with PTSD, mostly veterans, led us to figure out that meditating, like what you said, right? Meditation, breath work, mindfulness, and all and exercise routines and all of these other techniques that we know work were not working as soon as patients left the office, mm-hmm. right? In the office, they feel safe. They're comforted by our presence. They feel like they're able to make, to, to feel in a place where they're isolated from the stresses of the outside world and they can make the change in the office, but then they leave. And then the stresses of the outside world come rushing back and they're like, oh, well, now this becomes really hard again. It's easier for me to go back to the way I always did things, which was not being mindful and not moving necessarily and not making healthy choices. And so realizing what was happening with our patients, which was something that was not unique to us, we realized lots of clinicians were experiencing this and that our patients were just overstimulated with too much too much to do, too much new stuff to take on that they, it just added more stress to their lives, that asking them to meditate at that point was like setting them up for failure. You oh, know, yeah. it's a, because what happens as anyone who's listening, and, and I'm sure you know, right? When you're already extremely stressed out, you're underslept, you're worrying a bunch of the time in your day-to-day life and overwhelmed, what happens when you start to quiet your mind to start meditating? You get more stressed. All of it rushes back, oh, right? Yeah, I mean, I've and, actually spoken to people when I've spoken to them about breath work and they tell me that breath work actually makes them more anxious, it induces panic in them. Right. And that's a very real thing because that the, when your mind, when our minds are not used to being quiet, then we start to quiet them and that increases our awareness, which is the whole point of the activity. But if you're not, if we haven't had training and we haven't had like soothing training tools around, then we just start to become aware of all the things we're stressed out about in the first place. And that is not, going to make us feel good. And so there is a learning curve to this stuff that a lot of people forget. And they're like, oh, well, just meditate, just breathe, whatever. And yeah, that's great. It's great. No, it really is. Like, it's a it fantastic practice. And these are fantastic uh, skills that we should all learn to master, but they are not as easy to adopt and to, and to master as we often describe them. And so we were trying to create tools that said, hey, what if this could be easier? Right. Mm -hmm. What if we could give you the benefits of through, you know, rather than what we call top down learning that requires you to put your attention on doing something that I'm telling you what to do or you're telling them what to do and then doing it? What if I started at the bottom up? So, what if we start at the body and we say, which is a very traditional somatic technique that has been around for thousands of years in other cultures, and we said, what if we start by calming the body? Can we then induce a clear mind that is able to be comfortable with an expanded awareness and being quiet? 
mm-hmm. right? Will the will the body will the mind respond better if the body's calm first? And it turns out that there was actually some evidence in the literature for this. And it came from biofeedback and it came from soothing therapeutic touch literature and from music literature. And as we started to look at that, it became very clear that there was a possibility that we could do this in a wearable. Mm-hmm. And so we started to experiment with this and experiment with people in the lab over many years. And we found that, that eventually we were actually able to replicate a state that was very, very similar to a meditative state without just by delivering these gentle vibrations to the body without the user doing anything without them changing anything that you can induce this state and by inducing that state people actually had an easier time meditating mm-hmm. and that's the kind of beginnings of it yeah no that's i mean it's it is amazing and i love that you can be in public you can be working i'm sitting here interviewing you and it doesn't it doesn't interrupt anything that i'm doing it's it's as imperceptible as i want it to be and yet it's still helping. And, and, you know, you just keep coming back to this. And it's so important that we're always giving people things to do. And we're always saying you need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to build this into your day and you need to build that into your day. Yep. And how, how refreshing <laughs> to be able to say to someone, you know what, just clip something on or wear it on your wrist and set it and forget it and just go about whatever you need to do. If you need to sit and breathe or if you choose, and I think that's what's also really interesting about this technology is if you choose to sit with it and to practice your breath work or your meditation, you may, you absolutely can do that. But I feel like, you know, sometimes I've been driving around and in a crazy rush and I, it, I have it. And, it, it, you know, it's almost like and you forget to breathe, right? in those situations absolutely absolutely and it's almost like having someone's hand on your shoulder it's okay right like that stabilizing it's almost like a stabilizing presence that just and and i guess to your to the point that you were making and maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the research you've done around this and that is that it is it's it's somehow just this very gentle vibration just somehow induces i guess the parasympathetic nervous system to kick in or at least balance out sympathetic nervous system yeah yeah that's exactly right in that in that the nervous system our nervous systems respond to everything that comes in from the environment so which can be if we want to break it down really simply it's things are perceived as threatening Mm -hmm. things that are perceived as safety and then things that are completely neutral in the middle that have no safety or threatening uh valence to them and most things are in the middle but there are certain things that we've experienced that are perceived as threatening that set off our stress response system when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. The, the stress response threat system is only supposed to go off when we're in a survival situation, like running from a bear or running out of food or running out of air, water, uh, and things like that, where we need to make a choice in the moment to fight, flight, or freeze to save ourselves, right? That's when that system is supposed to kick on. Because that system takes, there's only so many resources to go around and that system takes resources from our reproductive system, our immune system, our digestive system, our empathy system, Mm -hmm. and every other system in our body that is required for recovery, our sleep and rest recovery system, all of those systems take energy, get energy taken away from them to go to the skeletal muscles, the heart, lungs, the motor cortex, and the fear center of the brain when we're responding to a survival threat or what we perceive to be a survival threat, which could be something as simple as too many responsibilities or too much traffic 
or too many emails or our children screaming in the back seat, right? Those are all situations that can induce a, a, a accidental, unintentional survival threat response that very dramatically impacts the way our bodies are functioning. So what mindfulness and meditation do that we learn from these techniques that's so fascinating, which is that by practicing those techniques, you can on the go or just by sitting and practicing, but ideally both, then you train yourself to be aware of when and mindful effectively of when something is actual threat versus not actual threat. And if you get used to doing that, which is basically just asking yourself the question, is this a survival threat right now or not? And if you ask that question every time, 95% of the time or more, hopefully you'll say, no, it's not. And then you will bring able to bring yourself back down to a regulated balanced state by yourself without any technology or tools. You can do that with practice. But again, this just takes effort and time and and most of us just never learned how to do that. We learned how to be stressed. And yeah. if you learn how to be stressed, our brains and bodies are automation machines. We'll get really good at being stressed. And then that becomes our norm. We yeah. forget that there are other ways to feel calm and balanced in situations that are stressful. So tools like this are really interesting because it gives you a space, place to aim for, right? If you know that you can feel calm when you're in traffic and you don't remember the last time you felt calm in traffic, then all of a sudden it makes, uh, it reminds us that, hey, this is a state that I can access on my own. So when I don't have my Apollo on, I know that I can aim to feel this calm in traffic, regardless of what tools I have. And so it's very empowering um, to be able to remind yourself that you're actually, we're actually in control of our emotions. Holy crap. (laughs) <laughs> and that, that's so important, right? I mean, I think that we forget that not to let our emotions run our lives roughshod. But, it, you know, you said something really interesting about noise. And some people who live in very noisy environments don't realize, and, it, and it's so interesting, you know, we were talking about how I was in the Dominican Republic for three weeks, and I was in a tiny little town, which is super charming and super amazing. And when I'm in the when I'm in the place that I stay in, all I hear is the ocean. And I don't use any sleep aids while I'm down there. I use nothing because just the sound of those waves is enough to put me in the most calm state. But as soon as I leave that little house and I go into the downtown area, well, in, you know, the Dominican culture is a very noisy culture. And they don't put mufflers on their bikes and everybody honks and there's trucks coming through. And it's it's that hectic kind of craziness. And when you spend a lot of time in that environment, you start to realize all of a sudden that your shoulders are up around your ears. and You're not breathing properly and you're not like you you function completely differently. And it's nobody's coming after you, but it's that constant background um, stimulus, I guess. Yeah, no, it's noise. It's noise. And the difference in noises, so between the ocean and those noises and their effect on you is really, it's it's quite remarkable to to kind of connect to that and to experience it and to say, wow, like there's constant sound when I'm sleeping, but it's a really different sound than when I'm trying to sit, you know, get around. Yep. And it all comes down to rhythm, right? So this is this is what's so fascinating about music and and sound in general and life is that it's all about rhythm so the rhythm of the ocean waves 
crashing in general in most places is a lot closer to the natural rhythm that our heart and lungs get into when we're entering a meditative state. Hmm. Apollo is also resonating at these rhythms. Meditation music that, that most of us use to enter deep meditative states and to help us drop in is also at these rhythms. That's why it's really, really hard to meditate to workout music, right? Or to party music. You would never do it. Most people no. would never do it. No. And so, so the rhythm is critical. And that rhythm is a is, that's coming at us, whatever that rhythm is, fast or slow, our bodies try to match it. Interesting. Because our bodies like resonance and resonance is harmony. It's harmonious, right? It means it means we are in tune with what is outside of us. And what is inside of us are in tune. That means they're working together. Our bodies don't like to work against what's going on around us. That creates dissonance or, or um, discomfort, right? It creates uh, what feels like an out-of-tune experience or listening to a band where one member is playing off time in a different key, yes. right? Which is horrible. <laughs> That's what happens when you take a very, very calm person and you throw them in the middle of New York City without any preparation, mm -hmm. right? Like it is jarring to the body. And then our body tries to match the outside rhythm, but it's at a different rhythm. And so there needs to be some transition period. So it's so the so if you are in an environment where there's constant ambient noise around like lots of cars honking traffic sirens all of those kinds of things construction noises then your body our bodies like our heart and lungs start to get used to beating at a faster pace and 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 breathing at a faster pace that is consistent with what is being coming in and the pace of what's coming in and when we live in when we live and spend time in a calmer environment we can feel calm just by being there because the rhythms of that environment the sounds of the ocean waves crashing, the sounds of the birds, the insects, all of those things that we might not hear in a city environment are much slower and, and at a lower rhythm. And so our bodies match that. And then it, they just start to naturally calm down. And it doesn't need to be conscious. It can actually happen almost entire. It does happen almost entirely in the background without us even being aware of it. What's interesting to me about all this is so much of it has to do with nature, right? And we talk about nature deficit disorder, um, as a thing, like where people have so much sure. contact with nature that it's almost like the body would almost forget or get disconnected from itself. And the fact that you'd be able to wear a device that helps to, and I guess the fact that the device, so this is a question to you. So I'm in the middle of a noisy, chaotic sort of environment and I'm wearing this little device that is delivering a somatic signal to my system, does the fact that it's somatic almost help to override the outside world? Like the, the it's, it's it's noise canceling for your brain. Huh. That's super cool. So because because there's a very important lesson from physics most people don't remember, which is that energy, the power of an of energy decreases by the square of the distance. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. So it's not linear. It decreases by the square of the distance. That is That means that every inch that you are further away from the source of energy decreases exponentially. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, if you take a stimulus like Apollo and you put it on your body or you get a hug, 
and you're surrounded by horrible sounds and somebody gives you a hug, if those sounds are coming from further away than the hug, the hug will overwhelm the sound, uh, will, will take away and distract you from the sound sufficiently, at least for a decent amount of time, because the hug stimulus is is infinitely closer to you than the sounds. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so sense. You can, right. So you can actually you can actually effectively noise cancel the body and the brain from no, from noisy unwanted external stimuli by delivering a soothing stimulation that's closer to the body that draws our attention directly back to our body instead of to those things that are annoying us in the environment and if nothing else it's a reminder you know i think that right. if you don't have this physical thing it's easy to get carried away with what's happening outside of you and this between the fact that it gives your body something better to resonate with um directly but on top of that it's a little bit of a reminder that says hey take a breath chill like it's okay right. calm down um does it um so i have a couple of questions for you does it matter where on the body you wear it because i know you have an ankle strap there's a wrist strap there's this really funky clip that i really like but you know i'm like well i could wear this on my hip i could wear it on my sternum, I could wear it on my clavicle, like I can wear it in different places. I'm sure there's a personal preference piece to it, but have you noticed that there's different different effects from different body parts when people wear them, wear their Apollo? I mean, it's more personal preference than anything else. We, we actually haven't seen that, which is interesting. Um, there are, of course, certain people who like to wear it in different places uh, for their own preference. But in the clinical studies that we've done, it looks like the location doesn't really matter as long as you can notice it just slightly. So as long as you're just slightly aware of the vibration and it's not distracting, you'll get good benefits from it regardless of where you wear it, okay. um, which is interesting because the way that it works is through touch and the touch receptors that we have in our wrist or our chest are the same as the touch receptors we have almost anywhere in our body. They're just they're just more concentrated in certain areas. So what, what people end up doing is if you're wearing it on your chest, chest is much more sensitive, especially to vibration than the ankle or the wrist. Mm -hmm. So most people wear it on their chest, just turn the intensity way down. Yeah. So you, so it turns because that actually you, the location is less impactful to outcome. It's more impactful to battery life. So if you wear Apollo on your chest, mm -hmm. then you actually get longer battery life generally speaking, because you don't need the intensity as high. So I use it at like 5% on my chest, where on the ankle, I use it at like 20%. So that's like nearly four times longer battery life because I'm using it. I don't need the intensity to be as high or, or twice as much battery life. So the location really impacts how much you need to turn up the, in the intensity or the volume of it, because the touch receptors in different parts of our bodies have different sensitivity levels. Back is the least sensitive. Um, fingertips are mo most sensitive. Tongue is extremely sensitive. Um, chest, center of chest is very sensitive to vibration. Um, certain parts of our ankle are very sensitive. Other parts of our legs, not so sensitive. Mm -hmm. Big bones tend to be more sensitive than, than small bones or no bones. Um, so it's and heavy fat, big fatty areas tend to be less sensitive. So it's really about just finding your comfortable spot, but that's also what's different about Apollo than other wearables. It is, it doesn't matter where you wear it. You know, it's really just about having the felt experience. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I don't think I, it's never occurred to me. And it's funny, you know, because we have this mentality of more is better. 
you know, I must need 70% intensity or right. 30 or 40. And well, I did 10 last week, so I should be up to 20 by now. So we have this mentality of surely I must be building towards a goal. <laughs> right. <laughs> what you're explaining here is actually not so much. If anything, it's less is more, it's less perceptible. And so you're going to get almost as much or more benefit from it being less. Yep. Yeah. And you actually, you get, you get much more benefit and you actually, you know, with Apollo, it, one of the, the, the way we're trying to help people understand the journey is that it is a, it is a mindfulness. It's a self-awareness training device. It's like the first of its kind wearable self-awareness training tool. So what that means is that ideally when whatever intensity you start out using it at, you might start out really enjoying it at 50% and that's barely noticeable to you and that's fine. But then as you start to become more self-aware, what we see is that people become more sensitive to the vibration. Mm. So that, so you actually want to, you should, you want to see over time as you use it, you, you should see your intensity level that you use on a regular basis, trending down, not up. Interesting. Down means that you're more self-aware because you require less vibration to feel it. Mm -hmm. Up means you're distracted or you're in a really noisy environment like a plane or train or something that has a lot of ambient noise and then you need it higher so you can be aware of it. But if you're sleeping and you're in a quiet environment and you start out with it at 50% or 60%, then over the few months of you using it, you should actually be able to see yourself turning the intensity down over time which is a sign that your body is becoming more sensitive to the feeling and that it's actually training itself to be able to access those states more effectively on its own, which is really neat. So less is actually more yeah. in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really, I never actually thought about it this way. So what about kids? Do you use Apollo with kids? Do you find, I mean, it must be magic for kids. Like they must not, um, <laughs> other than the fact they probably lose it, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, ki kids are, I mean, of the populations of people that respond best to Apollo, kids are at the top. Um, I think kids are just extremely sensitive to touch. We definitely see this in neurodiverse children as well, um, like kids with autism or ADHD, you know, anxiety and different different issues around that. Um, those kids who fall into the neurodiverse category certainly have the most sensitivity to touch in general. So we, they tend to report better, um, and their parents report better responses, but kids respond to it almost a hundred percent of the time, because how many kids do you know, feel in control of how they feel? Oh no. Yeah. I mean, like when I was a kid, I remember never feeling in control of, of what was going on in my life. Like you're, you're in control of so little as a child. It's like, you're at the whim of everyone else around you. You have to show up when they want you to show up and you have to do your homework when they want you to do your homework and do everything that everybody else says. And, and that is one of the primary, like, if you look at anxiety from a, uh, I don't know to say like a phenomenological perspective, like 10, 30,000 foot view, you want to look at, okay, what is anxiety and really ask that question. Anxiety is a signal that we feel out of control. Hmm. It's not good or bad. It's just a signal that's saying, hey, hey, you feel out of control right now. There is uncertainty in your life that you should be paying attention to, right? Hmm. So what do you try to do? You try to do things that restore a sense of certainty. You try to eat, move, breathe, do something to somebody else that makes you feel in control, take control of the situation that maybe is not in the best way, right? All those things are ways that people act out 
to restore control, a sense of control when they don't feel like they have it. Mm-hmm. And so the more, the more time we spend thinking about things we don't have control over, the more out of control we feel. Alternatively, the more time we spend thinking about things we do have control over, then the more in control we feel. And that's actually our choice. So if you hand somebody something, especially a child who ha- does not feel in control of much because most kids aren't, and you say, hey, now you can be in control of your energy level. You can turn turn your energy up or you can turn your energy down and help yourself focus or help yourself sleep when you want to. All of a sudden, that takes away like 50% of their stress right then and there. And then everything else is just is just bonus. Well, and if you, you've, to your point, you've handed them control over something. Right. right. About themselves. Exactly. About themselves. Exactly. And that's so empowering for a kid to actually know. Like, ideally, we should be teaching every child. Like, I am a firm believer that, you know, not growing up with meditation or mindfulness or breathing techniques taught to me as a child, I am a firm, firm believer that we should be teaching, based on what we know in neuroscience today, every single kid should be teach taught how to breathe properly, how to breathe intentionally, and how to practice mindfulness mindfulness techniques from as soon as they can start talking. They yeah. should be taught how to do this because if you teach children how to do it, mm-hmm. they can self soothe anytime they want, and they can restore a sense of autonomy and agency at any time, any moment, and it basically is giving you like a ten x boost to your brain power. Yeah. You know, it decreases yeah. your chances of substance abuse. It decreases your chances of impulsive behavior, attention issues, all of these things. And we just don't do it. But the neuroscience says it's good, so we should probably do it. For those of us who never had it or who don't have the access to the training, Apollo could be a tool that could just, you know, give you a little bit of a head start. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree with you. When my son was um, in elementary school, I, I think it was, there were a couple of years where they had a vice pre- vice principal who was all into um, mindfulness and breathwork and meditation. And so this is an all boys school. And these little guys, she would have them sitting and she'd have her little meditation bells. And I don't know what she was doing with them. Maybe it was just breathing, whatever it was. But for a couple of years, these boys had access to this. And you sit there and you wonder, to your point, like, how is this not part of the curriculum? Like, how would this not benefit the administration, the parents, the kids, and what is it? It's like what five minutes a day, and we may, you know, yeah. how how hard would it be at the beginning of the morning to say to the kids, okay, we're now going to, and you know, with little kids, it's got to be small doses, like you know, like I'll never forget once with my son, he was a real chatterbox, and trying to get him to, we were watching the sunset at the, at our cottage, and he's like chattering away, and my husband and I said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do, a, we're gonna have a contest, and he was really little, and we're gonna see who can not talk the longest. And I think he lasted about 25 seconds. He's like, I can't do it. <laughs> so it's yeah. little doses for them. But but to your point, to teach children how to just stop for a second. Yeah, and, and listen, right? So it teaches people how to listen. So if you think about what talking is, like over-talking as a child, I was probably one of those kids too. But that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a signal that I am sending out that I want attention. And that I feel like I need attention to be calm and to settle myself. But I don't actually need that. Nobody does. What we need is to recognize that everything's all good as it is right now, right? And that everything is as it should be, even if we don't necessarily believe that in the grand scheme. 
or we can't understand it in the grand scheme, we can at least settle ourselves enough to recognize that everything is as it should be right now in this moment for me. And that is just kind of this moment of grateful, graceful self-acceptance, mm-hmm. right? Which is just, just being present with ourselves, listening to ourselves. It, it turns off that, it's a, it teaches us how to turn off the doing part of our brain, mm-hmm. right? You turn off the doing part. All of a sudden you turn on the listening part. Yeah. Listening is intaking information. Doing is outputting. It's like yin and yang, right? This is your old, old philosophy from ancient Chinese medicine. You know, one doing has to be balanced with intaking and refilling. And listening and doing are opposed in a lot of respects. They have to balance each other out. If we spend all of our time doing, then we're not intaking enough. And therefore, our stores get depleted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So these are, it's all trainable. And then the younger we learn this stuff, the easier it is to master and the more likely, I mean, I, I honestly think that if you, you know, just seeing what I've seen in the pediatric mental health population with the way things are going in schools and the way things are going in our clinics and my colleagues clinics and the, the papers and the escalating, you know, dramatically escalating rates of p- kids with mental illness. I think that introducing a tool like these tools, which are free, like, meditation, mindfulness, and breath work at a age of starting around, you know, just a few minutes a day, like three or four years old, body awareness type things, just breathing and being aware of your breath and just sitting with your breath, sitting with your body and doing a body scan. Very, very simple things almost all of us have done. I'll bet you could cut the rates of ADHD in schools or attention issues in schools by 50%. Just by teaching people how to do that starting at three or four. It's that impactful. If you're a listener of this podcast, you're probably actively looking for ways to maximize your daily regimens and protocols. And if you haven't yet added nitric oxide to your daily wellness routine, you've got to stop and listen to the rest of this message. Throughout your body, there are over 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Nitric oxide is responsible for circulating blood to all those vessels through vasodilation. But as we age, we make less nitric oxide naturally, circulation becomes less efficient, meaning the blood carrying critical oxygen, glucose, and nutrients just isn't getting to all those miles. Berkeley Life is my go-to supplement for supporting nitric oxide levels in myself, my family, and my clients. Their daily supplement provides a powerful and precise dose of dietary nitrates, the building blocks of nitric oxide, for your body to make its own nitric oxide throughout the day. I've noticed such a difference in my energy levels, my stamina, and my recovery time. The more I learn about nitric oxide's role in the body, including its impact on oxidative stress levels and proper hormone balance, the more I encourage all my listeners and clients to incorporate it into their regimens. You can access Berkeley Life's nitric oxide support supplements by going to berkeleylife.com and using practitioner code NIDDBL to place your order when you register and check out. You will also save 10% off your first order. Once again, berkeleylife.com, practitioner code N-I-D-D-B-L. And now let's get back to the show. Well, it's self-regulation, right? You're teaching them. It's a little bit like when, you know, we're we're hoping that our babies learn to self-soothe and fall asleep. And many of them do, and some of them don't, right? So what can we do to help them through that process? And this technique helps with sleep too. Yeah, I mean, I know that for myself, there was a point where, you know, before I had an Apollo or anything else, there was a point where I was having troubles falling asleep. And I remember being taught a box breath or a four, seven, eight breath. And, and I used to refer to it as boring myself to sleep. 
but you know, not not taking into account how the cortisol is lowering, how you're calming the nervous system, how you're, you know, all the other stuff that's happening, kind of thing. But it doesn't, you know, it definitely doesn't take much. But but let's talk a little bit about how Apollo helps people to fall asleep because that's one of the features, right? There's there's a few different programs. There's seven different programs that people can use with Apollo. And so what's the difference in all those programs? How what makes one different from the other? At some level, all I feel sure. is vibration. So Right. Yeah, you, you yeah, you might not notice the difference unless you really put it to the test, but what we found in the lab, which is consistent with the music literature, is that there are certain rhythms of of music and there are certain rhythms of touch that reliably give us energy and increase our attention to things outside of our bodies, like a task that we're doing or to, um, you know, anything, anything going on around us on the outside, uh, socializing, things like that. Yeah. And, and then there are other rhythms like meditation music would be a great example or, um, or rhythms of gentle, soothing touch that's very slow and very like slowly rhythmic that increases attention inward inside the body. And we can do this with breathing too. If you were to sit here right now and just breathe really fast for 60 seconds, your attention would be generally focused on what's going on around you in the environment and your heart rate would go up and and you would feel very much sort of in tune with what's going on in the environment alternatively if you breathe slow and deep like five seconds in five sec or hold for one five seconds out hold for one and you did that for 60 seconds you would find yourself drawing your attention more inward to your body so Mm -hmm. these rhythms are very very well known they've been studied for over 100 years in western science western medicine but they've been studied for even longer in ancient traditions and chinese medicine and so when we were first developing Apollo, we were actually entirely focused on perf- improving cognitive function and daytime performance. And so we tested that and we did a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled crossover study, which is the most rigorous form of clinical trial in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. this was in healthy folks, just to start. And we showed that Apollo, within three minutes, in a very highly controlled laboratory setting, that these vibrations reliably improve cognitive performance up to 25% under stress. Wow. That means that you could get 25% more questions right on a test just by having something on you like Apollo vibrating and calm you down. That's, That's crazy. A, it's crazy, right? It makes me wish I had something like this when I did my SATs because I definitely was stressed out. Um so, you know, thinking about how impactful that was, you know, seeing that you could get that level of improvement with just a gentle vibration, and that level of improvement is comparable to what we see with amphetamines on these kinds of tasks, we're like, okay, this is a huge amount of improvement. What happens when you release this kind of technology in a wearable form to the real world? So, uh, Catherine, my wife, uh, who is our business, uh, we were engaged at the time, she was um, she's our CEO and was our volunteer business consultant at the time who helped us really commercialize the technology said, you know, why don't we make a bunch of prototypes with some of this money that we've raised and we'll put them out to real people in the real world and see how people respond, which is a big step that most companies don't take. I realize in retrospect, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of products in the lab that work don't actually work in the real world. 
So we released a product. We made 400 of these. We tested them in over 3,000 people over two years. And we learned so much. And what the thing we learned that was most interesting was, other than the fact that people liked it and they got similar benefits in the real world to the lab, was that people used it not only for focus during the day and socializing and, and anxiety and stress and these kinds of things, but the thing they use it for more than anything else was sleep. Hmm. More than anything else. And we did not test sleep in the lab. We, we asked people if it made them feel tired and they said yes, but we didn't actually test sleep in the lab in this way. So we started getting all these reports of people coming back saying, this makes me sleep better. Look at my Aura Ring score. Look at my Deep Sleep. Look at my Whoop score. Look at my Apple Watch score. My score doubled, right? People's Deep Sleep scores were like doubling within one to five nights of use, like stuff that we rarely see. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, this is pretty cool. So let's try to explore that further. So that ended up turning, like just kind of nudging us to turn our heads towards sleep. And then we released a two vibration patterns in the app that were focused on sleep and recover and, and relaxation, which are sleep and renew and relax and unwind. Yeah. Um, and those are very, very sleepifying. And so when we released those, we then put them out to the world and, and we were about to do a bunch of sleep studies and our whole, all the sleep labs, this is around, we, we launched in January of 2020. As of March, when all our sleep studies were about to kick off, COVID hit, every sleep lab shut down. Oh, Indefinitely. No. <laughs> Indefinitely. And we had like three trials teed up and we're like, okay, great. Well, how are we going to figure this out? So I thought back to what our users were sending us, and I realized, I remember that Aura Ring is a very research-friendly company. They had an open API for their cloud data. Yeah. And so I, I, I reached out to all of our users, and I said, hey, would you guys mind sharing your Aura Ring sleep data with us in exchange for getting, you know, getting on our beta list and getting free updates about new features we make from your data? And we got 350 people contributing a year's worth of data overnight. Nice. Nice. Look at that. So re- truly, cra- for free, truly crowdsourced research, like uh, incredibly um, scrappy research, but so fascinating. It's more valuable, right? Because it's real life. Like being in a sleep lab is not natural. Right. It's not a normal sleep environment. worse or better, right? Like, I mean, if you happen to sleep next to a train track, you're probably going to sleep better at the sleep lab. If you happen right. to be one of those people that needs to be in their own beds, you're not going to sleep well in the sleep lab. So you're right. actually getting real world data from people. That is, in many ways, you know, it's one of those moments where you probably thought the world was coming to an end, but that turned into the best gift you could have gotten. Yeah, it really did. And, and we learned so much from that because what we found is that was so fascinating that, you know, eventually the study expanded to like 1500 people, which we're publishing on in uh, the next six months. But what we found from the initial study of the first 500 people was that just over a year's worth of data, like on average, about six months prior to ever receiving an Apollo, Mm -hmm. and then about six months after receiving Apollo, just adding this to your life, this is regular users of Apollo. So no instruction was given to them. Nobody was told how to use it. And just the, just what was on the website, what came in the box, just adding it to your life introduced a statistically significant improvement in your sleep across all variables. Wow. Right. Just adding it 
crazy. Did you have a qualifier of, do you have an idea of how much they used it? Like, was it one day a week, five days a week, seven days a week? Like- so that's what I'm going to get to, right? So so that was across everybody, regardless of how they use it. That means that's including data from people who used it one time, data from people who used it every day. That was everyone just adding it introduced a statistically significant improvement in sleep. So that led us to say, okay, well, what's happening in these people who are getting these huge improvements that they're texting us about and emailing us about. And so we looked at it from the standpoint of usage. And what we found was that people who use Apollo three or more hours a day, five or more days a week, were like much, much more likely on the order of P is less than 0.001 level, which is extremely statistically significant, were extremely likely if you use it that much over three months that you are very likely to see on average 19% improvements in deep sleep, Hmm. 14% improvements in REM, 4% reductions in resting heart rate, 11% improvements in heart rate variability cumulatively, and 25 minutes more sleep a night just from strapping this on. Just by calming the body before bed and using it a little bit during the day and a little bit at night, three hours total a day, five or more days a week for three months, you're seeing those kinds of findings, which is comparable to what we see in the literature from adopting a new exercise routine or a new meditation mindfulness routine or a new yoga routine over that same time frame, Yeah, which is activating the same parts of the nervous system. That's amazing. Without having to get in the car and go to a club or go to a... So, you know, go to a yoga studio or uh, right. like, that's pretty, that's pretty huge. Right. I, I haven't used it that much. I mean, I, again, like I think we were talking about before the podcast, like I sleep pretty well, I've got pretty decent metrics, but, uh, but now you've got, you've piqued my interest. Now I want to, you know, I want to lean into it a little bit more. Well, now, and now we also have scheduling. So I am also, I am a, I am more of a, I use it more for focus. And for me, like, I don't also, I, medical school really taught me how to sleep anytime, anywhere I needed to. So I don't really have trouble with that, but I started to, um, see the patterns that were coming back from the data and I started using it, um, you know, day and night with the scheduling feature. So now I don't know if you've tried this yet, but there's a feature with a clock in the app that you can click and you can literally schedule power to turn on automatically for you. And then it's, yeah. And then you can set your entire circadian cycle in the app. You can do one for weekdays, one for weekends, if you want, or you have every day, different schedule. If you want, if that's the kind of life that you have. Yep. And so I schedule my entire week so that I generally wake up around the same time every day and go to bed around the same time every day, which is also helpful for circadian health and sleep health. And Apollo wakes me up, keeps me focused in the morning, keeps me focused and energized after lunch when I have my afternoon slump, keeps me social and chill in the afternoon when I work sending and I'm transitioning to exercise, and then puts me to bed at night. And then my three hours or three to four hours of use just happens automatically without me having to do anything. And it keeps my circadian rhythms regular. And that has resulted, even in me, where I'm a good sleeper, I've seen these very, very nice improvements in my own sleep metrics. So even for even for us, you know, and HRV2, you know, even for us, and those of us that do sleep well, mm-hmm. getting some of that regularity can actually still result in, in, in quite substantial improvements in our the way we feel and our overall balance and our, you know, functioning during the day, et cetera. 
Oh, for sure. And, you know, and, and, you know, right now, like, because I'm traveling a lot, things are, things are uneven, right? I yeah. mean, I'm flipping through time zones. I was an hour behind, then I was an hour ahead, then I was two hours behind. Now I'm going back to another, an extra other hour behind. <laughs> it's definitely wreaking havoc. Although, you know, for me, I wake up in the morning naturally, so I don't, I, I never, I, I, I'm a little resistant to using the Apollo on a schedule, but I wouldn't mind using it to fall asleep and during the day on a schedule. So I guess you can just set your own. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to set a wake up time if you don't want to. You can set your sleep time, set your daytime, but the goal is schedule it. That What we see that it gets you these, these tremendous results is if you schedule it to turn on at least three hours a day. So yeah. it started, I, you know, you can always, if you don't like early morning, uh, wake, wake up, just start at like 10 or 11 AM. Yeah. Like, and then schedule another one for afternoon, another one for evening and another one for wind down bedtime. Yeah. Um, and then you'll get your timing in and then it'll also maximize your battery life and it'll make sure that the Apollo is set to the exact mode you want it to be on or the exact vibe you want it to be on whenever you go to use it. So you know you can tap the buttons and restart whatever mode it was set to before. So if you schedule it, the schedule gets saved to the device. So you don't need your phone unless you want to change something. And then during each day, if you know that between 9 or 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., you want to be in the focus zone, then every time you tap your buttons on your device, it will automatically be in focus mode. So that's really great for kids too, because kids, you know, generally shouldn't or not allowed to have phones in schools. So parents, many parents will just schedule their Apollos for their kids, send them off with it. And then it will literally turn on as scheduled in school to keep them focused and tuned in and then wind them down at the end of the day. That's amazing. I love that parents are using this for their kids. I just think that's, that's incredible. Anything to get kids off drugs, seriously. No kidding. Um, what are you finding with people with high anxiety? Because, I mean, there were a lot of people with anxiety before the pandemic, but the last three years has, as we all know and have seen, and even people who weren't anxious are anxious, but people who were anxious before are off the charts anxious now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're definitely not wrong about that. Um I think that all of our anxieties, safe to say, has increased a little bit over the last couple of years. Um, I think that, you know, any of the techniques that we're talking about are very, very helpful to anxiety and, and managing anxiety because all of these techniques we're talking about restore a sense of control and right. agency, right? So we really talk about like, there's like four four core principles of things that we can do in any moment. This is what we use in, in our clinical practice that help people to understand what they can do to restore control. Because anxiety is spending time thinking about not being in control and thinking about uncertainty. So the single way to fix that, in, in addition to using things like Apollo, is to redirect your attention to things you have control over. Right. So those things are listening to music, soothing touch, or touching yourself even counts. Um, singing music, singing counts. Singing is something we have control over. Um, movement, we have control over. Right. So these things are critical. And it, and by and, and and the fourth is breath, our mm -hmm. breath. 
Mm. So by drawing your attention to any of those four things at any moment, if you have anxiety or worry, you can literally intercept your attention back to back to center, back to your body. That's exactly how Apollo works. So it, by it turning on or you turning it on when you're starting to feel worried or anxious, it helps center our minds back into our bodies because our minds can be anywhere, past, present, future, another universe in somebody else's minds, what have you. Our bodies are always here in the here and now. So by usually anxiety comes from thinking about, again, things that we don't have control over, thinking about the past, thinking about the future. We don't have control over any of those things. What we have control over is what we're thinking and doing right now. Yeah. Right. This is the origins of mindfulness. So Apollo in that way is a tool that just helps remind us of that, right? It's a constant reminder that you actually have control over where your attention is. Mind, body, they're connected. We can bring them back together if they feel separate, right? Mm -hmm. By breathing, by moving, by touching ourselves or giving a hug or getting a hug or by singing or listening to music, right? Those are those are the core four ways that we can restore control. And then the other two ways that are also really important, I, I say equally important, but not as easy to access in any moment are sleep, which mm -hmm. restores control through recovery and nutrition, nourishment, right? What we put into our bodies for nourishment. Right. So all of those things are critical. And Apollo is, a, is just an assistant, like your friend that can, wearable friend to help you along the way. Yeah, it feels a bit like the wearable friend that'll put it hands on your shoulder and just say, hey, come back, you know? Yep. Be aware. It's a very interesting way to explain it, actually, because I think that we're in a society where we also expect things to do things for us, right? And quite often you will talk to people um, about this technology or something. Someone I said, well, it didn't do anything for me. And I think a big piece of that is misunderstanding what it is going to do for you. And sure. you know what I mean? Like we almost expect it to be like a drug that's going to knock you out or make you calm or make you this or make you that. And, you know, the way that you're articulating this is it's, it's more, more than what it's going to do for you is what it's going to help you to do for yourself. And it really helps to put you back into that state of awareness where you have a bit more control over where how you're feeling or how you're managing how you're feeling and that's it's a big distinction to make i think that's quite a nuance that that gets missed a lot yeah with yeah with lots of different things right that's it's what and you know what are what are you doing for you to help you accomplish your goals is the real question right, right? Oh, yeah. and then hopefully you're that's aligned with your belief that those things you're doing will actually work for you because if you're doesn't matter what things you're doing that are good for you, if you believe they're not going to work, then the chances of them actually working, as we know from studies of placebo effect, go down by like 30%. Just by believing that something you're doing for yourself isn't going to work or have good results, you decrease your chances of successful outcomes by 30 plus percent. That is huge, right? Yeah, placebo, so, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 belief and the role, the impact of belief in biology that you could actually change biology, you could change a response to a drug, yeah, by simply believing in it working, right? There's it's this incredible phenomenon that we have struggled to understand in Western medicine for many centuries, but is something that has always been 
on you know on the minds of Eastern practitioners. It's it's alignment of intention and which is like belief in your intention um, and the belief that something will work and your action. You create that alignment, your chances of success go through the roof. If you have misalignment or dissonance in those things, then you're basically fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's assigning power back where it's due, which is in the mind, which control physiology, it can control biochemical processes in the body. It is, you know, it's, it's so underestimated. And I, I laugh every time somebody dismisses something as a placebo effect. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. This is like an amazing thing. <laughs> it's so amazing. We are witnessing the power of the human mind and, and our beliefs. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, no. And uh, yeah, well, you know, I got to tell you, I have, um, which I'm happy that I do, I have a much deeper understanding of Apollo and what it's in, what it can do and what type of tool that it is, right? And I think mm-hmm. that uh, I'm hoping everybody else does too. So before we finish up here, do we want to tell people a little bit about the different modalities that they have access to with Apollo? There's sure. I mean, there we've talked about sleep. We've talked about you know what we're both resonating mm-hmm. with right now, which is social and open, which is you know the ability to carry on a great conversation with another person. But uh, there's definitely yeah. a few others here. Yeah. So, so social is one of my favorites. This is the, it's, it's the one that's great for interacting with other people. Um, great for date nights, great for socializing when you're tired, especially. Um, it's also great for creative work solo or in groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually, that was one of the, another surprise that came to us from our prototype testing that we didn't know that that, that vibe was going to be so, um, enjoyable by people for creativity, but it in fact was, um, so then the other ones are energy and wake up, which is the most stimulating of all the vibes. So this is a, um, a vibration pattern that is very much kind of like an, a feeling. I, I think it's very much like a, taking a shot of espresso. It's like, it's energy for a short amount of time. It is not anything other than that. It is just energy. You need a boost to wakefulness this is for you, right? Just get you out of bed, help you not fall asleep in that meeting, whatever it is that you need to, you know, you know, that you need, um, energy wise, this will give you a quick boost of energy. Then, and it's not calming. The energy wake up mode is not calming at all. Um, then we get into clear and focused at going down in terms of relaxation, clear and focused is wakeful, but it is very much increasing attention on one thing for an extended period of time. This is the vibe that we tested in, um, or a, a derivation of it in the lab at the University of Pittsburgh that showed that it um, increased cognitive performance up to 25% because mm-hmm. it increases our ability to focus on one thing for an extended period of time and sustain that focus. So that is a very similar effect to what people with eight, with um, who have used amphetamines for focus experience as an amphetamine-like effect. Um, then from down, going down from there, there's rebuild and recover, which is the vibration pattern that has shown that is just good for quick relaxation after any stress, physical, mental, emotional, um, even in just five, 15 minutes, it rapidly reduces heart rate back down to homeostatic or baseline levels. It brings down respiratory rate. It decreases sweating. It decreases speed of thoughts. And it's great after any stress. We've shown that that, that, uh, vibration pattern is actually, um, 
the one that statistically significantly improves HRV within five minutes right after intense athletic performance, which is a paper that just came out from the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and then uh, going down from there is meditation and mindfulness. So this is the pattern that's great for entering and deepening meditative states, helping you learn to meditate if you don't know how, but also deepening meditation states for those who are experienced. We've also seen that it helps a lot with aches and pains, which is something that came out of the literature um, when we made it, is that it's in, a, in the range of, uh, of a certain frequency that helps with pain. And we have a lot of people that use that mode specifically for ner uh, nerve pain and chronic pain, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and a lot of people especially use it at the dentist's office. So that's a big, big one that um, has a lot of benefit for people. And that's kind of like the chill, not really sleepy, but just kind of even chill vibe um, that is right in the middle, balanced. Then relax and unwind, which is the deep relaxation state. People, some people liken that to basically like a glass of whiskey or a cannabis indica, depending on on your experience. Uh, own experience, but it's a very deeply relaxing pattern that is very, you know, attention inward focused. It is not good for socializing for most people. For me, like I can feel that within 30 seconds, I start to feel my eyes fluttering and get tired. So that's a very, like very good pre-bedtime to wind down and then sleep and renew is what most people use in bed to just help them fall asleep when they get into bed. Amazing. Well, the meditation mindfulness, I wonder, I, you know, I was getting an IV yesterday and IVs are interesting in that they're a little bit painful, right? Like you feel like I, I, for me, my arm was pretty achy and we had all kinds of stuff going on and it didn't occur to me, but I kind of wish now, I think next time I go in for an IV, I'll bring my Apollo and try meditation and mindfulness or something, you know, because it may, I wonder if it would help to mitigate that. Um, and it would, if nothing, take your attention off the age, mm -hmm. right? It might just bring a yeah, little... Yeah, rebuild and recover could help with that too. If, if Especially if you have a history of vas like a vasovagal reaction, mm -hmm. which is a dominant parasympathetic reaction that can happen where people pass out from getting injections or IVs. Um, if you have that kind of experience, then you might want to rebuild and recover because it, it will it's more even. Um, and the meditation and mindfulness is a little bit more relaxing. Yeah. Um, but either one could work. Yeah. To help. It's interesting when you're having these procedures to be able to access something that can help you to get through it better. Okay. Well, is there anything we didn't cover that you would like to cover, Dave? Is there any population of people that we haven't talked about you think could really benefit from this technology? I mean, I, you know, I think that in general, we're in a like, you know, and this is not talked about enough, even in the medical world, but we are in a really rough situation in society right now, particularly in the Western world, where um, nine out of 10 Americans report not sleeping mm -hmm. well. And 50% of those people are taking sleep aids, right? So the reason why this is problematic is because sleep aids give you at best 22 minutes of sleep back, like Ambien but they actually take away and disrupt REM and deep sleep, yeah. which has long-term implications that are not good. And they, they so they, they increase length of sleep time, but they don't increase your quality of sleep. They actually make it a lot worse. They destroy so, your structure, right? It's exactly. Yeah. Which is very bad long-term, very bad. They <laughs> actually think that long-term use of some of these medications can contribute to dementia. So 
you know, short term, it's fine, whatever. But for pe- a lot of people use these daily, every day for decades. And you're basically like putting a wet blanket on your brain that's sedating it to just to get sleep. But you're still waking up feeling tired because you're not getting restful sleep. And that's what really matters. And, you know, we have to feel safe enough to fall asleep. Sleep is our most physically vulnerable state in our entire lives. And we spend like a third of our time, or we're supposed to, in that state, and it's a state where we are completely vulnerable to the outside world, right? We're defenseless physically. And so we have to feel safe enough to to allow ourselves to enter those deep sleep states, feel recovered. And so, you know, I think for us as clinicians, as, you know, I'm sure you see this as well, right? There's so many people out there who are trying to make positive changes in their lives. They're trying and doing all the right things, but they're not sleeping. And so nothing sticks. Yeah. And what the literature from neuroscience and sleep science is now showing is very clearly, if we do not tackle the sleep problems first in whatever way we can and get people sleeping well and sleeping restfully and ideally not taking sedative or hypnotic sleep aids to go to bed every night, then people will feel better. They will have more energy during the day. They will be more primed to learn. And there'll be more, it'll be easier to change old bad habits. Absolutely. Right. And so I think what we're finding now is tackling or, or rather to use a less fighting term, addressing the sleep issues that we have that nine out of 10 Americans have um, right off the bat as the first thing to take on is absolutely essential to the healing process. It makes everything else have a foundation that can grow on. Otherwise, you're just building all these healing practices basically on top of like a house of cards because eventually that lack, that sleep deficit will catch up with you and you're going to feel pretty terrible and it could be a while before you feel good again. So, you know, using tools like Apollo that help not only give you better, more sleep back than sleep aids, but give you also deeper, longer uh, sleep and more deep and REM, these kinds of tools that activate the safety response system to do that are really, really helpful because they increase overall resilience over the long term. And they give us that supportive foundation for all the other healing practices we're doing to build on. So whether you use Apollo or whether you do breathing for sleep or CBTI techniques or meditation and mindfulness techniques around sleep or yoga and stretching around sleep or whatever it is that helps or exercise during the day even, whatever it is that helps you get that sleep you need, take that on first. And if you take that on first and you focus on that sleep as a foundation and your sleep architecture and circadian rhythms as the foundation of your healing process, then everything else you do, everything else we do will be that much more impactful in the long term. It actually has a chance of solidifying and sticking around. So for those who don't know those techniques, Apollo can be a tool to help get you on the right track. Um, But for those who want to do this for free, there's lots of ways to do that too. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. And I, the, the sleep first, I mean, people often ask me like, what comes first? And it's, it's gotta be sleep because to your point, everything falls away from that. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So Dave, how do people get in touch with you? How do they learn more about Apollo and what are your handles? (laughs) Well, you can, so you can find me on Instagram at Dr. David Rabin and on Twitter at Dr. David Rabin. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Please 
feel free to reach out. Um, I'm always happy to hear from you. It might take me uh, a few days to get back, but I always try to get back to everybody eventually. Uh, you can also reach out to me if you're interested in my other work that I do, my clinical practice um, of psychiatry. You can reach out to me at apollo.clinic, A-P-O-L-L-O dot clinic. Uh, and you can reach out to me that way and follow the other work that I'm doing, my podcasts. Um, this will be on there as well, of course. Um, and I'm releasing uh, my own podcast that some of you may enjoy, which is called The Psychedelic Report. Love which it. is a lot it's recorded a lot it's the very first psychedelic news show um about everything consciousness but focused on psychedelic medicines and psychedelic experiences that can be induced without medicine um that will be that's recorded live on clubhouse every week and so you can actually participate and connect with the experts live on clubhouse every week and find out more at the psychedelic report.com and that will be coming out in january um, and then you can find out more about Apollo at apolloneuro.com. We have a great sale going on. Um, I'm happy for anybody to participate. And um, we have also uh, Natalie's discount code for all of her guests um, and listeners to access. Um, and uh, you can also find Apollo at wearablehugs.com. Nice. That's a beautiful handle. So this discount code is not 10. I'm going to have to check in on your podcast because we may have to do another episode just on psychedelics next. Oh, that'd be fun. I think this uh, foundation on Apollo and this whole nervous system regulation was really important. It's like anything else, you know, laying it down one step at a time. I think the psychedelics maybe come in. Well, I guess maybe they can help too, but getting the foundation first is probably a good idea. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so Happy much. To. So it's live on Clubhouse. When is it a regular time? Is it daily, once a week? What's the... Uh, we usually record it live on Clubhouse every week at 2 p.m. Pacific on Thursday, Thursdays. Roughly almost every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, you can join us live on Clubhouse. Just follow me uh, at Dr. Dave Rabin. Um, and you can find the show listed. It's all scheduled um, on Clubhouse every week. Um and we're uh, and if you go to the psychedelicreport.com, you could see all the people we've interviewed, and there's some episodes on there that you could check out that have already been released as teasers, and then there's more to come in the next several weeks. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for your work and all that you do, and for this beautiful solution that you've brought to us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.